0: you <laughs>
1: Over the past seven months, Israelis, both young and old, have taken to the streets in a resurgence of protests against Israel's current prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, in response to years of corruption scandals and his handling of the coronavirus pandemic. The chants you just heard mean an entire generation is demanding a future, which encompassed the motivation for many Israeli youth to take to the streets in hope of keeping their government accountable in the wake of Netanyahu's pending trial and as Israel enters its third national lockdown. To better understand the nature of these protests, why they're happening, who is protesting, and what this could mean in regard to Israel's political future, I sat down with Anat Baled, a Stanford alumna from the class of 2020, an Israeli Rhodes Scholar, and a journalist for the Times of Israel covering the protests, on December 23rd, 2020, to answer these questions. Since our conversation, there have been two key developments. First, Israel entered its third stringent lockdown in early January. And second, as a result of the lockdown, Prime Minister Netanyahu's trial for corruption was delayed until early February. More information on these two developments, as well as all of the reports we discuss in the podcast, will be linked in the show notes. To keep human rights close to your home, you're listening to The Rights Pod. My name is Kira Jasper. I'm a student at Stanford University studying history in the law and minoring in human rights. I'm honored today to be joined by Anat Paled. She is a Stanford alumna from the class of 2020 and a current Rhodes Scholar at the University of Oxford pursuing a master's of philosophy in modern European history. She has published numerous opinion pieces on Israeli American politics in Israeli newspapers such as Haaretz and the Jerusalem Post and has worked as a Time of Israel last summer reporting on the protests. Thank you so much Anat again for being here. Thanks for having me, I'm
0: really excited about
1: this. Yeah, I'm excited as well. And I guess just to start off, so this month marks about six months of nearly constant protesting, Um, but I'm curious what the history of protesting has looked like in Israel. um, If these are new protests, what makes them distinctive from past protests um, and just a little more about how they started um, and how you started to cover them.
0: Sure. So um, I would say that these protests started around four years ago, when um, the Attorney General Avichai Mendelblitz started to look into uh, corruption allegations against Netanyahu. Um, and so a group of uh, lone protesters, kind of individuals who would sit at um, kind of roundabouts with signs against the Prime Minister, and there was, so there were those, there were some people who would go to Petah Tikva, which is where the Attorney General lives, And they would go protest there to kind of put pressure on him to move along the case, to to kind of make a decision. Um, But this was, and I've written about this, um, this was an older crowd. Um, I I went to some of these protests. Uh, You could really not see young people there. It was kind of an older generation of Israel feeling that they have to safeguard democracy. Um, Yeah, so they continued doing that kind of on a weekly basis. Sometimes there would be kind of higher numbers, sometimes lower. But things started to change six months ago um, in the summer when basically the youth joined in. Uh, Young people started to come in thousands to the protests. Um, The epicenter of the protests changed to Jerusalem, um, to what we call Balfour. Um, If you see that, that's kind of the street that the prime minister lives on. And um, in front of the prime minister's residence, so thousands of people started to come and they just started to have a whole new energy, this whole new dynamic of uh, the younger and the older generation. Uh, protesting against Netanyahu, and this is after uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu was indicted in in, um, in 2020, uh, in January 2020, of um, bribery, fraud, and breach of trust on three different cases. So, and he's been in, and just for kind of uh, for, for uh, general understanding, we have no term limits in Israel. So Netanyahu has been in power going on 15 years. He has been prime minister since 2009, and he also had another stint in between 1996 and to 1999. So he's, so a lot of the young people, you know, most of, they can't remember a different prime minister. It's just him. Um, So that's kind of the background to these protests. Um, A lot of pundits have kind of been saying, you know, you know, kind of saying these protests are gonna go away. They're not gonna stand the hall. You know, people were saying in the beginning of like Rosh Hashanah, you know, the beginning of the year, they're not gonna stand those holidays. They're gonna dissipate. But these protests happening every single week, sometimes uh, several times a week, and um, yeah, they, they have this pretty big energy. Yeah, in in terms of just comparing it to another big protest movement, um, I think people talk a lot about the 2011 protests. So while the Arab string was happening in the in the Arab or, in the Arab and Muslim world, Israel had something called the Cottage Cheese Protest, um, which actually drew a lot of young people to the streets. But this was not kind of overtly against Prime Minister Netanyahu, who was who was in power to also. But um, this was against kind of the the cost of living in Israel. Uh, people called it social justice. Kind of uh, they they camped out in Tel Aviv. Also, the epicenter there was Tel Aviv, which is more of a kind of a liberal, kind of hipster kind of city, as opposed to Jerusalem, which is a lot more uh, right-wing. So that, that's kind of what people compare it to, but these are a little bit different, I think, and they're kind of more overtly political.
1: But that's really interesting. So are most of the protests just happening in Jerusalem or are they also happening in Tel Aviv, but in smaller numbers?
0: Yeah, so the protests are happening. Uh, there's, I would say there are two kind of big epicenters. The biggest one is uh, Balfour in Jerusalem in front of uh, the Jerusalem residents. Um, there's actually two encampments there, uh, one of the older, the old, there's a lot of different groups. So one of the groups is, is the older group that's camping right outside, um, you know, on the sidewalk, and people actually sleep there outside the Prime Minister's residence. I know protesters who come to sleep there several times a week. Wow. And then there's another encampment in Independence Park nearby of a young, young people. Um, so you can see again, the generational gap. The other other place that there are big protests are in Caesarea where Netanyahu has another residence, his private residence. And so there are protests there. And then there's another really interesting phenomenon which is kind of interestingly COVID related. Um, So it's called the Black Flags protest. So this is the Black Flags are another kind of group in in the protest movement. And what they do is they kind of have, um, every, I think I would say like Saturday evening, People go out to the nearest bridge or intersection in their town with black flags, which kind of represents the, you know, the threat to Israeli democracy and all and all kinds of signs. And it's kind of little groups, and they go do that. So at a certain point when, during the second lockdown, um, earlier this like earlier this uh, this year, um, there were like a thousand different protests in Israel of little little tiny black flag protests uh, because. Wow. Uh, there was you know, people were worried because there was lockdown and a lot. And you know, I think protests were exempt. but again, they didn't really want to have the kind of the picture in the papers of all the protesters coming together and and it would look not, you know, it's not very, it kind of gives a bad picture when the whole country's kind of trying to lower the coronavirus numbers. So that's that's been another thing. So the protests happening, Jerusalem, Caesarea, all across the country in black flags. And yeah, I think they've been they've been expand, expanding kind of geographically throughout the six months now.
1: Wow, that's fascinating. Um, can you also talk a bit about the demographic of the protesters? So you mentioned that there's young people as well as older people. But um, what does it look like in terms of, um, yeah, the backgrounds of these protesters?
0: So the protesters are generally, um, they lean center left from from my sense, from the interviews I've done with people over the summer, um, usually from kind of middle class, um, yeah, so that's generally, and generally in Israel, we have kind of this, this divide between Ashkenazi Jews who are, who are European descent, so kind of like white Jews. And then we have um, Jews uh, of Mizrahi descent from Arab and Muslim countries. And so uh, they do, these protests do lean kind of Ashkenazi, but I've definitely talked to protesters who are Mizrahi, to uh, right-wingers, even settlers, um, religious people, and Arab, Arab Israelis who come. Um, so, so there's definitely, they're trying all the time. There's an effort to try to kind of diversify the coalition, grow the coalition. Um, Cause you know, actually it's kind of funny but this kind of this anti-Netanyahu view actually unites a lot of different groups. Um, if it's the anti-occupation you know, uh, occupation left or even settlers who don't like Netanyahu, right? So it, it can be kind of this interesting group that yeah, it can serve as something unifying in a way.
1: Yeah, I think we also saw that here in the U.S. against a lot of anti-Trump sentiments. So that's interesting that there's that there's that parallel as well. Yeah. Um, I'm curious too how you got started in covering the protests. So um, I know that you interned at the The Times of Israel last summer, but how did you decide to start interviewing people for this particular topic? Um, and it, yeah, how you sort of transitioned from Stanford to doing this kind of job?
0: Sure. So I actually wrote an op-ed for this paper called Haaretz. And it, that was in 2019 when the protests were still kind of, you know, the older generation happening, kind of not in big numbers. And I remember going there and talking to people and being like, where are the people my age? What is going on? <laughs> why, why, you know, I was in, I, you know, I was talking to mothers who were like, yeah, my kids don't really wanna go, you know, they don't wanna come. And I was like, oh my God, like we have to go out here. And I was at Stanford at the time, just coming home for breaks. Um, so I've been really interested in this topic for a while And then I started after, I've always liked journalism, um, did a journalism class at Stanford and kind of uh, decided to take the summer to do some work at Times of Israel. I didn't start out kind of working on the protest. I was doing some other stuff, but I really wanted to be there. I mean, this doesn't, it just felt like something kind of historic and I really wanted to talk to people and I I just like to be with this, like, you know, in the center of the action. That's kind of, (laughs) I I like to be there and talk to people and understand it uh yeah so that's kind of how I got there and I was I was kind of covering the protests uh at like going several times a week in Jerusalem um with another colleague of mine and we were just kind of interviewing people sometimes doing uh uh, deeper stories talking to like you know kind of in-depth kind of analysis stories
1: is was this their first time that you were interning at a newspaper you've published before but is this the first time you've really like joined the staff of one
0: Yeah, I worked a bit for the Stanford Daily as a staff writer, but nothing beyond that.
1: How do you think journalism has been impacted by the pandemic? And because of the pandemic, was the nature of which maybe in discussing with your colleagues as well as the time of Israel, that process differed? Or was it pretty much the same, but just like with a mask and social distancing?
0: Yeah, so first of all, I want to kind of go back to people who are, I mean, maybe people who are listening and like are thinking about classes. Uh, I took a class uh, with this amazing teacher called Janine Zakaria, called Foreign Correspondence, which I recommend to everyone. And um, that usually just deals with kind of different, uh, like different crises around the world and talking to journalists, but we actually had a group project there, and it was related to COVID. And we all uh, decided to interview Uh, We like we decided to interview um, seniors who were graduating from college um, into the COVID world. And so it was very cool. Uh, We did all our interviews, uh, you know, via zoom, but we did an article at the end. And so I think that was kind of a jumping into the COVID era because for times of Israel, I did a lot of interviews via zoom Uh, protest. I was actually, you know, I would always go Uh, with a mask and you know try as much as you can social distancing although in protests it's kind of difficult um yeah yeah, so there it was actually physical but most of a lot of journalism work now is being done via zoom just because that's what you have to do so i think that uh you know it's changed a lot but luckily we have this technology which you can keep kind of doing stories yeah it it has new challenges but i think there's a lot of really cool journalism coming out now about you know just because the world is so strange
1: (laughs) yeah Absolutely. Sort of on the note of COVID. So Israel had one of the highest rates of COVID-19 cases per capita, which really surprised me in this. I think in September was when it surpassed the U.S. for the um, highest per capita cases. Not the highest, but one of the highest in the world. Um, and it's entered its third lockdown. Has the third lockdown already happened or is it going to be happening? It happened.
0: Yeah, that- it went into effect, I think it was uh, earlier this week on Sunday.
1: Wow. And I know that this has been a reason that a lot of protesters um, have come to the streets. And there's also this phenomenon because there's so many COVID cases, a lot of hospitals have already reached capacity, they're over capacity for number of patients. Um, but Israel also has the greatest number of COVID-19 vaccines per capita, which is a recent development as they've been passed um, and are beginning to be implemented. So just sort of all of those pieces into play, how does this like confluence of both grim news, um, some of it, that is maybe old news um, regarding sentiments toward Netanyahu, sort of compare to the developments of the pandemic? Like how much of this is pandemic related versus before? um, And how does the news of the vaccine change, if at all, how the protesters are viewing the future?
0: Yeah, great question. Um, I think that what's interesting, I think that the youth were brought to the streets uh, because actually of the unemployment and the coronavirus. I think that's actually part of the reason that they were brought to the streets. What's interesting about the current, you know, six month protests is that it was just this amazing crystallization point of like this crystallization of several different things. So, anger against Netanyahu, um, unemployment, which is really kind of out of control. I mean, in many places around the world, but Israel too, um, economic crisis. Um, and also, there is an element of uh, a party at the protest, which I think you'll be able to hear a little bit from some of the um, sound bites from the protest. But there is an element where everyone's kind of social distancing, and the protests are the biggest party in town. <laughs> you know, it's you oh, go there, there's drumming, there's music, people are dancing. Um, so, there is that element of um, it, it fills you up with energy. So, so I think the protests, um, yeah, are, are about several things and several different groups there are trying to highlight, you know, right now the, the anti-Netanyahu group is kind of, you know, I would say leading the way and kind of the message of the protest. but there are groups there who would like to highlight the, the economic element more. Um, yeah, so so there's that inner thing of, of a coalition of groups coming together and there's many different groups um, working together, like so many, and it and and drives the police crazy because they want to identify, you know, who's organizing it. And it can be like 20 different groups, right? So the young people have their own groups, the older people, just so many things. Yeah. And then in terms of like what's going on with Israel and COVID, um, it's kind of interesting. So first of all, I think the whole kind of response to COVID in Israel has been marred by Political considerations. Netanyahu is um, is a prime minister is still serving as prime minister while he has uh, been indicted of um, corruption, very serious corruption. So a lot of the decisions he makes, nobody knows if it's you know if it is it for his own kind of gain because there's this big, there's a lot of the public in Israel thinks that he's trying to avoid his trial. And, you know, a lot of the he's been kind of delaying his trial and doing all these moves, which is pretty clear. He, you know, is taking his time not wanting to go into to go into the trial. Um, so there's that. And so it's, it's kind of hard to tell, like, is this for the good of Israel or for the good of Netanyahu? Um, so that that can be kind of murky. But I think with the first wave, we dealt very well. Then things got out of control with the second wave. And um, yeah, there's a problem. We have higher COVID rates in Um, the Arab sector and also in the ultra-Orthodox sector. And so, um, especially with the ultra-Orthodox, there's been some major problems kind of um, Netanyahu not wanting to, because of political considerations and he's being kind of, he's kind of beholden to them politically. He has not wanted to put like local lockdowns on ultra-Orthodox areas. And so a lot of people are kind of angry that he wants to put a national lockdown when some places we call them green, like low uh, COVID levels.
1: Interesting. So the current COVID response has been more at the national level than the local level with different Yeah yeah. I guess so sort of going back to who is organizing these protests. So you said that there's many different groups. Do people tend to come alone or they tend to come with a particular group, or it's kind of a whole mix?
0: Yeah, I think that it, it depends. I think in the beginning people came more alone. Now there's just so many groups. And something that's been really interesting since I got back. Um, to Israel is that like protest swag has been really big. So people walk around with the different groups. I'll give you a few examples of the groups. One is crime minister, kind of known as more of a militant group um, that is uh, not always cooperative with the police. But again, not like crazy stuff. Just, uh, you know, the police, you know, have had a have been accused and I've seen it myself of being very hard handed at the protests. yeah, so there's that group. There's a group, uh, Terbut, which is kind of about culture and about how um, there's this thing in Israel where like a lot of the people who, who work in culture, like in, in arts and music, have sort of gone bankrupt from COVID because they can't perform. And so they feel like the government is not helping them. Um, There's, yeah, there's just like so many, there's groups that, so there's just like, you look sometimes at it says like, who's organizing the event on Facebook and you'll see like 20 different kind of groups.
1: (laughs) Um, Yeah, there's the black flags. Um, Yeah, so. Yeah, what is the relationship between the police and the protesters? So you said that there's sometimes been of an aggressive relationship, but what has that looked like and how has that maybe changed over the course of the protests?
0: Yeah. So the police has been accused of being very hard handed and I've seen it myself. Um, The protesters, from what I have seen are and I think it's pretty much agreed upon, they're not violent. Um, They've often been portrayed as, you know, this as anarchists, as violent, as um, disease spreaders because of Corona. As as just purely lefties who want the demise of Israel. You know, like that's kind of been an attempt to show them that way. But they're they're not they're not violent. Protesters feel that the police has become very political. And some people claim that the police is protecting Netanyahu. And it's kind of his last kind of, it's like his own private army in a way. They they do a lot of arrests at protests. Um yeah, I mean, at a certain point, there it, it went in waves. So in the beginning of the summer, they were using water cannons a lot to um to disperse the protesters and some yeah so so it was pretty bad um they were aiming at people's heads apparently and so they they you know the protesters are pretty good about legal things so they kind of uh, went to the courts and you know the police couldn't really use the water cannons anymore after several weeks or it was really a water park i i got soaked <laughs> we were hiding we were hiding me and my um and the guy i covered the protest with we were we were like hiding behind trash cans in alleyways trying oh to chase you <laughs> they were chasing you it was pretty crazy yeah so all kinds of different tactics like that um i think it's gotten a little better lately but um then with there was also this kind of financial Uh, thing where they were putting they were kind of giving people very heavy fines at the protests for not wearing masks like the police would just go around and kind of the protesters felt that they were kind of looking you know just to kind of get at the protesters like thousands of shekels of fines for like you know being close to someone who is not from your household or um, not wearing a mask I think it's gotten better but in the summer I saw some some things that yeah I think I think what's interesting is a lot of protesters, young people, or, or, you know, protesters, people like me um, who haven't had we like, okay, so P- Palestinians and ultra-Orthodox, uh, the ultra-Orthodox population, you know, they kind of encounter the police in much harsher, you know, the police is known to be much harsher to them. I think that people like me, I- I've never had really a bad encounter with the police. I haven't had, I haven't felt violence or seen that. For many people, especially young people coming to the protest, this was a big wake up call for police brutality, really, seeing that, wow, if the police is doing this to us, imagine how bad it can be to other groups. So that was that was interesting. It's kind of the first encounter that a lot of people have had with
1: uh, hard handed police. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. um, Because I think a lot of the narrative regarding Israel is with the occupation um, and sort of the tensions between the Israeli and a lot of Israeli police with yeah, with the Palestinians. Um, So that's really an interesting insight that a lot of Israelis now are are sort of seeing that firsthand. I'm sort of going off that, um, do you have like a poignant memory or sort of an experience from covering the protests um, that you think was really eye-opening or really changed the way that you saw the protests or saw yourself as an Israeli? Yeah,
0: Um, I think that the first time I went to a protest kind of what kicked off the protest. I really got, because I was working for the Times of Israel, I got to see them from the beginning. Um, so the big day that they kind of, it was the blast off or whatever, um, was called Bastille Day. It was held on the same day of the Bastille Day. And it had like a French Revolution sort of feel to it. Um, people were dressing up and there were flags that, you know, people were writing liberty, fraternity, you know, it was wow. that kind of thing. Yeah, and just suddenly being there and coming kind of early and then seeing more and more people coming and young people. And I remember seeing people, you could kind of people's shirts sometimes like they say what group they're part of. And I identified one of the groups that like um, that I could tell by their shirts that they had been part of that group that had been protesting for four years. And I saw them and I saw some of them like almost in tears, seeing the younger people who came to join them. And I remember just looking at them and Yeah, I think they were, they were just so proud. They were, you know, they said, you know, they were just thinking to themselves, like, you know, we've, we've kind of held the ground for four years. Now the young people have joined us. They finally, they finally see that they also need to stand up for their future. Yeah, so that was kind of exciting, the kickoff of this whole thing. And I think that another element to the protest that we haven't really discussed so much, and maybe it's not that important, but it's the whole aesthetic, um, colorful costume element um, it's really creative people come with these amazing signs and they come dressed up again as I said it's a big party as well <laughs> so um, yeah there's a lot of it, it tends to draw a lot of artists and creative types so you can see a lot of cool stuff um, yeah sometimes people meditate in the middle <laughs> it's just
1: very it's, wow. it has some
0: very yeah so there's a lot of culture involved here too
1: that's amazing. And I know you've been documenting a lot of these um, protesters in a platform called Behind the Signs. So can you talk mm-hmm. a little more about that and yeah, you know, why you started it and what exactly is it?
0: Yeah, I just spoke to a lot of people over the summer, uh, interviewed at like at many protest people and often got pictures of them with their signs. And I love the signs. I think they're kind of like the offline version of tweets in a way. <laughs> it feels like they're just holding these really witty tweets. Right. Um, yeah. And so I, I, often, I just interviewed a lot of people and they were very diverse. And a lot of times those those quotes and those people would go into the news articles I wrote, but it would just be kind of, a you know, a little bit in the piece and I wanted them, I wanted the people to be the focus. So I started just doing these short kind of st- like mini profiles of protesters, uh, just to show how diverse it is. Um, and yeah, again, to, I think that there is this narrative that these protesters are anarchists and violent, and that's really not what I saw. And so I thought it was just kind of interesting also aesthetically and also yeah that whole element of how
1: diverse it is. We're going to include links to the Instagram page and the Facebook page in the Great. show notes um, so you can for Thank the you. viewers that are interested yeah they could definitely check it out because it's really interesting um, and sort of talking about Talking about you as both a journalist, but then also as a as an Israeli and as a protester. So when you came back you, a few weeks ago from Oxford, you said that you started attending protests, and I was curious how your experience differed between being a journalist um, and also being a protester, and why you decided you, that you wanted to start protesting yourself.
0: Yeah, I mean, for the times of Israel, um, being a journalist, I really couldn't. Affi- I can't affiliate with one side or the other. I would go to protest kind of with you know, probably usually sport clothes, because sometimes there were marches, and I would just kind of, you know, I was not affiliated, I would interview people. Um, But, you know, after after kind of finishing that job, and, you know, I I am very concerned about what's going on in Israel, I'm very concerned for my generation for the future of the country. Um, I feel that the country is being held hostage by Netanyahu. Yeah. And I I, I really care about the future. And so I I joined the protests. I guess the biggest thing is like, I made a sign and I wrote like, you stole my generation's future and just going there. Um, Yeah. I mean, it was, it was really exciting to come back after so long. Um, The protests, the protests are a little bit less. I mean, in the summer, you know, school was out. um, And so there were a lot more people on the street. Also, it was warmer. So there were a lot, the numbers were much higher. So this time it was smaller, but it was still very cool to come back and and kind of see how things had developed. Um, I think one of the big kind of the, the big things that's going on now is that because of there's elections coming up, the protesters are thinking about how to use this power and, and convert it into politics. So they're really thinking about how they can go into, it just, it was interesting to kind of see how things had changed since I went.
1: Um, yeah, and I felt very proud being there. Speaking of elections, so a few days ago, I think it was announced that there will be elections held in Israel for the fourth time in two years. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about the political drama um, that led up to that point and the influence that you think the protests had in having the call for the fourth election.
0: Yeah, so in our third election, you know, in this never ending saga of elections, Um, In our third election, um, basically, there was this big party called Blue and White, led by Benny Gantz, a former general. Um, And a lot of Israelis voted for Gantz. Also, in the second election, kind of, he made this promise of anyone but Bibi, you know, like, we need to replace Netanyahu. Sorry, we call Netanyahu Bibi in Israel. That's his nickname. And um, basically, many Israelis voted for him. He got a very large number of seats. And then Gantz decided to Join Netanyahu's government and people were felt very betrayed kind of they had voted for someone pretty much this was a new party so people were even unsure of its ideology it seemed to, to gear to the center but you know they voted for him because they wanted to get rid of Netanyahu and then he joined and there was a lot of anger and, and still in Israel a lot of anger about that they felt their votes were stolen um, then basically what happened is they Gans and Netanyahu signed this agreement that they were supposed to, Basically, Netanyahu would do two years as prime minister, and then Gantz would get two years. Um, Nobody in Israel believed that agreement. Nobody, basically, there's a lot of people, Netanyahu is not, at least on the center left, people really don't believe much that he says. Um, And so basically, one of the things there was, there was this budget clause where they were supposed to pass a two year budget. Uh, Netanyahu decided he just wanted a one-year budget and that was not by the agreement. So last, last week, um, yeah, it was, it was on the December 23rd at midnight. The Knesset basically dissolved because it couldn't pass this budget. And what happened is it was very dramatic. People were really looking at it like a football game. It happened near midnight and there was just this um, inner rebellion from Gantz's party, which is blue and white where some MKs actually decided that they did not want to, um, yeah, they basically rebelled against Gantz and decided that they were not gonna pass this. um, There was this agreement they wanted to basically have the, to delay the budget, something like that. They decided, no, we can't do this anymore. We can't sit with Gantz and Netanyahu. And I think that the MKs from from, um, Blue and White were very much influenced by the pressure of the protesters so the protesters in, in, in weeks leading up to that were not only protesting in uh, Jerusalem, but had also been protesting at Gantz's house and uh, putting pressure, like there were all kinds of like text message campaigns to MKs, uh, members of Knesset, kind of telling them, you can't sit with Netanyahu, it's, it's betrayal. So they kind of uh, rebelled against Benny Gantz. And there were also some, P- some MKs from the Likud party, who actually, which is uh, Netanyahu's party, who also rebelled against him. And so, yeah, so it was, it was very dramatic. Um, another development, which is, I mean, again, we hear elections and Israel's just like, it, it, I don't know, it just keeps happening again and again. So you kind of think what's different this time around. And one of the things that's different this time around is that uh, a major figure within the Likud party, Netanyahu's party, Gidon Sal, um, has basically left the Likud after many years and has said that he is running to replace Netanyahu and he has actually a lot of people from the Likud have actually kind of switched to his side. So he's kind of stealing people away from the Likud, which is very interesting. So
1: there's a rebellion from from within the right. Yeah. What do you think will happen, or is it still the jury still out regarding how how things might go? Gosh, it's so hard
0: to tell. One of the the big you know, the big confusing things is the center left is destroyed in Israel. Uh, The Blue and White Party, after Gantz kind of went into government, it's collapsed. A lot of uh, his own members of the party have left. Um, So that party is kind of collapsed, which most of the votes went to from the center. Um, Yeah, so the left is kind of in shambles right now. And so there is space for reorganization. And so I think in the next few months, I mean, in the next, the the elections are on uh, March 23rd. I think we're going to see a lot of reorganization within uh, the center and left. Um, maybe new new political figures coming in. But right now, it seems like if Netanyahu does not win again, it will be a very right wing government, um, which is something that a lot of protesters are concerned about because Guidon Saal is, you know, is very right wing. And there's also this guy called Bennett who's running. Um, there's a, there's a running joke in Israel called basically, basically saying that we have 50 shades of right wing. You can get any right wing you want. You can have Netanyahu right wing, you can have anti-Netanyahu right wing, you can have religious right wing, secular right wing. Literally there's so many parties and then you look at the left and it's destroyed. So it'll be interesting to see what will happen. I think there are some efforts from protesters um, to go into politics, which is, it's gonna be interesting to see if that could happen. When I initially started interviewing people uh, in the summer, there was actually this anti-political element. They they were very kind of, um, they, they wanted to stay away from politics and um, they felt that that was all dirty, but it's interesting now, they kind of feel like they have no alternative, so they have to be the alternative. Um, so a lot of them are thinking about going into government. We'll see what
1: happens. So it's gonna, it's gonna be an, an interesting next uh, couple months. Yeah. Do you think that that is going, that energy of more anti-politics will ride a similar wave as populism that we've seen uh, over the past few years? Or do you think that this is a different strand of of anti-politics, but also people trying to enter the government?
0: Yeah, no, I mean, populism, Israel is very much part of that trend. Um, I don't think we have like a, lo- a, a local version of it. But um, yeah, the anti-politics, let me just explain, give a little context to that. I think that um, in the 2000, so most, most many leaders in Israel come in, have like, who come into the Knesset and are voted into government, have military credentials, okay? So it's kind of this thing, a lot of former generals go in. I'm not personally the most pro that, but that's kind of a trend that happens. Um, two interesting figures rose to power after the 2011 protests, Stav Shafil, a woman, and Itzik Shmuli, a man, um, and they really rose to power in this new way. They didn't come from kind of military credentials. They were just leading the protests and it was very exciting. Um, they rode the wave, they came into government and then Stav Shafil basically was voted out and Itzik Shmuli joined labor and then went into, joined Netanyahu's government recently. So a lot of people felt very betrayed by that and kind of said, look what happens when protest leaders go into politics. We can't do that again. So oh, it was interesting, I, I, I mean, people were telling me that that's the lesson they drew from 2011. Like, we can't go into politics. Look, look what happens. But I think that that might be changing because there's really, yeah, there's, they don't see an alternative right now. So they they have to do something.
1: Amongst the protesters. So you said that there's a lot of different blocks or different groups of protesters that are coming together. And I have two questions about that. The first is, have there been any points of conflict amongst what the protesters demands are? Um, And how has that, been played out during the protests, if at all. Um, and the second, as well, is in imagining a different party or a coalition of center to, to left um, viewpoints entering politics. Do you think that there's enough momentum from the protests to make that happen? Or, like, how large is that block compared to the mm-hmm. rest of the Israeli population?
0: Yeah. So I think that, yeah, there's definitely a, a broad coalition here. Um, with a lot of different groups. Um, I wrote this one article where I was interviewing people who were more on the economic kind of side of the protests, more of the Corona, um, you know, things like that. And they, they were saying, you know, they're, they're the, so the main groups that organized the protests or at the time was kind of Prime minister, the black flags, um, and they're very just kind of anti-Netanyahu and, and not, not really offering kind of an alternative vision um, but, there, but just saying, we need to get rid of Netanyahu, that is the purpose of these protests. Let's not branch out too far, that's what we want. Then there are other groups that are kind of more concerned with kind of inequality, and um, they wanted to talk more about the, the economic crisis. And they thought that that would be a way to broaden the coalition to you know, groups living in the periphery, um, maybe to even people from the Likud party who were really kind of hurt by the financial crisis. So there's that. Um, There's also like the anti-occupation block in there, which are very vocal in the protests. And I'm sure they I I, yeah, I don't I don't remember talking to them so much about this, but I think I'm sure they would want to put the occupation more at the front of the protests. Um, But in general, I think that all the groups agree that Netanyahu is is like a disaster for Israel. And the first thing to do is to get rid of him. So that's a big unifier.
1: Awesome. Yeah. And the second question is what percent roughly the center to left is in Israel? And if you think that the momentum from these protesters could be enough to have a majority or even a significant minority in the Knesset?
0: Yeah, Israel is um, I mean, people have talked about this in in recent years and through like the last decade. Israel is going more to the right. The center is kind of moving to the right. yeah, so so it's it's a it's a little worrying for the center left and also kind of labor, the party that founded the country. And I'm actually researching labor. That's kind of what I'm doing at Oxford. Um, labor has collapsed as a party. Um, so you just look at the left, and there, there's it's like it's it's really upset. Like it's sad. It's it's really kind of a graveyard over there. So it, we definitely, I think, need a new generation to come in, new ideas. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the protesters can do. Um. Yeah, it's it's kind of all up up in the air right now. We'll see what happens. I think they. Yeah, I, I I I don't know. I've seen them as protesters. I don't know how they'll be as politicians. Um, it's it's really hard to know, right? I mean, I think there is still the the fact that Gantz and Bibi tied in two of the elections shows that the center left still you know is a lot of the, despite what everyone says in the polls, like Israel's going far to the right, there is still a big coalition that is against Netanyahu and is in the center left. So it's there, but uh, we'll see how these, I think that's the big story now, how these protests can sort of kind of translate their power into politics and into like votes.
1: Yeah, out of curiosity, why did the Labour Party collapse? Um, And why is there, at least according to analysts, um, a trend towards the right?
0: Yeah, so labor basically um, was led by this man called Emil Peretz, um, and he promised to not sit with Netanyahu, and he joined the government with Netanyahu, so there's a lot of anger about that. I feel like everyone who joined the government with Netanyahu, these last elections, has been burned. You kind of see it, their, their numbers are way lower in the polls now. Um, but also last election, they, were, they had to merge with another party, Meretz, which is, I guess, the only kind of Jewish left-wing party. Um, we also have the, the joint list, which is kind of a coalition of Arab parties, which is also considered on the left, but Meretz is only, the only, yeah, so, but, so they exist and they had to join together, Labour and Meretz. Uh, Labour decided to go into the Netanyahu government, despite like, promising to not go in. The, the head of the party decided to shave his moustache. And say, "Read my lips." I'll never sit with Netanyahu. And then he sat with Netanyahu. Like, and he he had this like big mustache. He was very known for. Yeah. So it's it's kind of sad. Um, I think personally, I think a lot of it has to do with education, how we're educated in Israel, um, and also this idea that we we kind of have this. Yeah, so the education, I think, leans right wing, um, as well as um, I think there is this idea that we have this kind of cowboy mentality or you could call it Holocaust syndrome where we think the whole world, or this comes from the education too, where we think the whole world is against us all the time. So we're always, if you look at how like, you know, with Iran and the bomb, like there's always this fear of like, they're going to destroy us again. Everyone's against us. So that's not kind of, that doesn't, that's not a picture that gives much hope or a vision that gives much hope for a different future. And Um, I think the left can be defined as kind of the party of hope and for, you know, a different future. So, yeah,
1: Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Sort of on that note, though, of, of Israel, of the Holocaust syndrome, as you mentioned, so recently, obviously, there's been the Abraham Accords, there's been a lot of deals with Middle Eastern countries. And I'm curious what impact that has had or that you think that will have both in terms of Netanyahu's popularity, as well as maybe the mobilization of the left toward this idea of greater hope.
0: So, uh, yeah. So the Abraham records are very exciting. Um, Bibi has made this, he's branded this as kind of his own personal achievement, private diplomacy. Only I could have brought this. Yeah. It's a very personal politics with him. It's always, I did this, you know, I brought this to you, the great leader. <laughs> um, so he's basically, said, yeah, he's made it all about that. Like, look at my achievement. Um, and, and it is a very impressive achievement. I think there is there is, a, uh, you know, a worry among, you know, the uh, certain parts of the population where a lot of these agreements have kind of been secret. Netanyahu has basically not told kind of the minister of defense um, and all kinds of people about these agreements, and they've also involved weapon deals um, the, with the United States. Um, so that's kind of been a concern because that hasn't, you know, in previous deals it's been like land swaps, things like that, but not really weapon deals. <laughs> so that's been a new thing, which people are a little concerned about. That's one thing. Yeah. And so, Bibi, this is something that he is going to play on a lot towards this coming election. So, so if you think about kind of the coming elections and the time, it's not the best for Netanyahu because March, we're still going to be in COVID, right? We're, Israel's vaccinating at, I think, the, the fastest rate in the world for, per population, which is very impressive. But COVID's still going to be around. Uh, Netanyahu's trial, the evidence, the evidence stage is starting, I think, in February. So he's going to be in court. Um, he's been delaying that for a long time, but now it's going to happen in February. Um, so that's going to be things that are going against Netanyahu. But there are also things that are going for Netanyahu. And one of those things are these peace agreements, right? hes It feels like you wake up every day and there's a new agreement with Israel and another country. It's kind of amazing. Um, he's going to be playing on that. He's going to be playing on the vaccines. He's, again, branded the vaccines, even though you know this is Pfizer and Moderna's achievement. He's branded it as his own. He's brought the vaccines. The great leader has brought the vaccines to you. (laughs) He made good deals with the head because he's friends with the heads of the, the, you know, the vaccine companies. He's brought them. It's very personal. And so he's going to be playing on that, saying nobody else could have done these things. So that's going to be his kind of two things that are going for him. And he's going to. Yeah, you're going to see that a lot in his, I think, campaign videos and things like that
1: interesting yeah, yeah very very similar rhetoric with Trump and I think most yeah. of the other leaders so that's yeah that's fascinating um, I guess a sort of a last question um, what do you hope that like the audience learns about protests or protesters that you don't think is maybe represented in the news or you feel like is really hard in order to grasp and also um, thinking about yeah, Israel's future, um, how you sort of see yourself as a young Israeli, like what your what your prospects are for the future, sort of thinking about the stories that you've heard during the protests, um, in addition to every day's new uh, news developments that is really happening in the region and in Israel.
0: Yeah, so um, I think what's important, I think, for an American audience to understand especially, is that most of the coverage of Israel is about the conflict. And that's fine. That makes sense, right? israeli Palestinian conflict is a really big thing. I think a lot of times kind of the local, um, also on the Palestinian side, but I'm talking about the Israeli side right now, kind of the, the local political kind of things that are going on get kind of left out or, or can often people can sort of only see them through the lens of the conflict. And I think the Netanyahu corruption story is a really big story on its own without the conflict. Um, and it's interesting to see kind of a lot if you kind of place the Israeli protests alongside kind of other protests that are going on during COVID, Hong Kong, Belarus, in um, Lebanon. Um, it's kind of an interesting time. I, I would kind of put the Israeli protests in that, the protesters at least, I think, see themselves in that kind of, you know, the light trying to fight for democracy in Israel. Um, there are voices, as I said, who are anti-occupation and definitely that's there at the protest. You'll see that. But um, yeah, it's, it's kind of, it gives me hope that I think for many years, I'll, at least my generation has kind of, sat at home kind of nothing changed after the 2011 protests. So, you know, it's like, what do we have to hope for? And it's really exciting to see young people taking to the streets. Again, I'm, I'm very impressed by the older generation but they've been doing that for a while now. And so the young people coming out I'm very excited by that personally. So I think it's interesting to see kind of could, could these protests be the beginning of the revival of the center left in Israel? I don't know. It could be interesting to kind of see what happens um, Maybe this will energize a new generation and there'll be new creativity for the future. Israel is a very polarized country, just like say, like when often people ask me, is Netanyahu popular in Israel? And I say, well, is Trump popular in America, right? Like it's very polarized. Um, Netanyahu has a hard base of people. It doesn't matter what Netanyahu will do. They, it's very personal politics. They call him the king. Um, And yeah, it's very, you know, it's it's very interesting in that way. Um, And one of the interesting things there's a lot of uh, parallel rhetoric with Trump, so he's called all the corruption allegations against him a witch hunt, kind of like Trump, and um, he's convinced his voters that the trial that basically the courts are not only putting him on trial but them on trial too. It's very like you know letétat' moi like the he can't make the <laughs> like the country is him, and the protesters are him, and yeah, so it's it's very uh very polarized. one of the things I didn't really talk about is um There's there have been a lot of allegations. Like a lot, I've seen this. I think it's allegations, but also I've seen this in person. Where pro Netanyahu people are attacking protesters. Um, I mean, it hasn't. No one's died yet, and hopefully nothing will happen. But it's um yeah, there. I mean, I've even felt it. Like you get cursed when you're in the protest by people. Sometimes it gets to violence. Um, And there's also these signs that sometimes pro Netanyahu people hold up that say leftists are traitors, um, and that's important to think about what's what's happened to the left in Israel in many circles, it's become kind of a curse word, even like, oh, you're just a lefty like so it, it's it's disturbing what we're seeing. Um, but the protesters are, are going on. They're continuing. Um, yeah. And just about Israel's future, again, going back as a young Israeli, I think my generation has been um, really screwed, uh, particularly, you know, in a much worse off situation than a lot of the other groups in Israel. Um, cost of living is still really expensive. So many people can't even afford an apartment here. So there's brain drain going abroad. Um, There's the way that we're taught about history in Israel. Um, You know, it's all about kind of the Holocaust. And again, this Holocaust syndrome, and um, you go into the military. So there's not a lot of room for hope, I think. Yeah, so so I think that these protests are really a lot. I mean, I haven't really spoken a lot about this. But there is the anti Netanyahu kind of And let's just get rid of Netanyahu part of the protest. And there is a part, also a younger part of the protest, which kind of says, let's also think of a different future. What kind of future would we want to see? So a lot of the younger people talking about kind of social justice and things like that. And so that's really encouraging for me to see from the young generation, kind of taking the extra step and saying, what kind of future do we
1: want? So that makes me really excited. Thank you so much again, Anat, for taking the time to sit down with me today and teach us a little more about the Israeli protests. To learn more about any of the topics that we discussed in today's podcast, you can find links to the information in the show notes. For more episodes like this one, be sure to subscribe to The Rights Pod wherever you get your podcast. To keep human rights close to your home, you're listening to The Rights Pod.